This month we have been talking about God has more for us and if you weren't here last week, I would like to encourage you to go to our website and listen to our podcast or watch the video of the sermon from last week because that was part one. And part one was uh, starting this whole thing of God has more for us and it was really focusing on the concept of who God was or who God is to us, because everything that we understand about the has more for us is predicated on who God is. If we can't understand who God is, then we'll never really understand what more there is for us. If anything, understanding who God is dictates the way that we respond to him, and it dictates what we expect from him as well. So if we think that he is a, a grumpy God, that he is a tight God, that he is a punishing type of God, then we will act in a certain way towards him. But if we think that he's a generous and an exuberant type of God, then we'll act in a completely different type of way. If we think he's the type of God that doesn't care that what we do and doesn't really mind if we just trip up and you know, nothing really matters and he won't get, ever get us in trouble, then we can just do whatever the heck we want and we'll get away with it. But when we were studying it, we actually looked at this and we discovered that there are two ways that we quantify a person. There are even two ways that we quantify God, and that is we usually quantify people's attributes and attitudes. And a person's attributes is what are they like? Uh, what are they physically like? What are they emotionally like? What are they mentally like? What are they uh, uh, financially like? What, what is their characteristics? What are their attributes? But the other question we usually ask about people is what are their attitudes? Meaning, what do they feel? More than that, what do they feel about me? And we know that God is a good God, but we know that specifically he's a holy God. He's a perfect God. And he's a perfect God that demands perfection. He demands goodness and righteousness from us. Sin inside of us is not good enough. So he's a perfect God who's like a perfectionist God that we will never be able to approach except for the fact that Jesus made a way to us. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, he now feels something different to us. The, the Father thinks and feels something different about us because of what Jesus has done in us. That's pretty much a synopsis of what we talked about last week. So today what I want to do is I want to finish off that sentence of God has more for us. And I want to, I want to go through the rest of that sentence and peel back each of those words. And as Pastor Aslan said, she already pointed out that I like to try and get into the nitty gritty of tiny little words and then start peeling them back. That's just the way I am. So I'm going to go through these words one by one in order to try and help us understand that how God actually has for us. And of course, the first word in that sentence for us after the word God is has. God has more for us. So if I was gonna ask you a question, does God have more for us? You would say yes. yes. Is there anyone here that would say no? Okay, because no one said no, then I'm going to assume that everyone here is on the same page that God has more for us. We're all agreed that God definitely has more for us. But when we're looking at the word has, the next question that comes in my mind is, when is that? When is that has happening? Is it the past? Is it the present? Is it the future? Is this sentence talking about something that just happened in the past? Or is it talking about something that happens way in the future? Well, for me, it actually is all three of these things. I'm going to look at them quickly one by one. The first one is the past. How did God have more for us in the past? 
Well, we know that he had more for us because it says that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us, is what it says in the scripture. It basically means that even before I did anything wrong, God decided to make a way for us because he knew there was no way we could make a way ourselves to God the Father because we're imperfect and he is perfect. And so therefore, he has given us more. He has given us something good in the past. And in Romans 5.8, it says that Christ died for us before we even needed him. So does God have more for us in the present? The answer is yes, he does have something for us in the present. The Bible says this, that in the present, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That means that we're going through a process of being renewed, of being, going through a process of being saved. Many people will say, I remember when I was saved. I was saved when I was 12 years old, or I was saved when I was 20 years old, and it's a past event. But really what we should say is, I remember when I started being saved. I remember when I started going through a process. This is sometimes the difficulties that new Christians will go through in trying to understand or, 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 or try to, to, to get their heads wrapped around the idea of, wait a second, I was saved back then, God has accepted me, but I keep doing all these bad things. The reason is, is because you're going through a process of salvation. It doesn't happen just like this. Our bodies haven't changed. We don't have new bodies. I sometimes get sick, and sickness comes from a root of sin. It comes from the root of the fall. So I know fine well there are parts of me that are still going through a process of salvation. So are we saved? Are we, does God have more for us even in the future? Well, the answer is yes, and this is where most people lean towards, where God has more for us. We believe that he has more for us, but it's really just in the future, because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's building literally mansions, the Bible says, for us. He's building the place in heaven for us so that we can, be, uh, uh, we can go up and live with him. We can go and be with him. There's, 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 there's something in our minds that we understand. It's something that is in the future. The Bible even says that we, when we see him, we will be like him. Our minds will be like him. Our hearts will be like him. Our bodies will be like him. We'll be purified. We will become holy because he will have completed his good work in us. Okay, so God has more for us in the past, the present, and the future. But I wanna bring this all back to the present right now because that's the part we're constantly living in, okay? Does God really have more for us in the present? Maybe the question I should be asking is, do you believe and act like God has more for you today and in the present? Well, the easiest way to try and quantify that is to really discover how you pray and how you communicate and chat with God. So some people, when they're praying, there's, there's, there's two main ways that we do this. Some people, when they're praying with God, what they'll do is they'll say, Father, if it be your will, I pray that you would relieve me of this problem, that you will heal my marriage. If it be your will, I pray that you will restore to me what has been stolen. If it be your will, I pray that you'd heal my body. If it be your will, I pray that you would bring restoration back to my family. If it be your will. Now, I'm not here to try and uh, say whether that's right or wrong, but the other side of the pendulum is the type of person who says, no, it is your will. 
And we say, they'll say that when you look at the Bible, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, he has brought us all blessings. He's brought us the blessings of Abraham. It says, by his stripes we are healed. So when they're praying uh, uh, concerning sickness, they'll say, the Bible says that by his stripes we're healed. So it's already happened. I command it into being. I'm gonna take whatever's in the spirit and I'm gonna try and command it into the physical. It is your will. So let me, let me just take a quick poll on, the, on, on which of you, pray which way? How many of you would say that you pray more in the dimension of uh, if it be your will? I just pray that that would happen. Okay, okay, a bunch of you. Okay, so let me ask the other side. What is the other side? The, the commanding. How many of you actually are more likely to pray that is the will of the Lord and I command it into being? How many of you? Okay, so there's quite a few that do that. The rest of you that didn't put your hands up are like, I bet you there's a third answer and he hasn't told us yet, right? Okay, you're too scared to put your, your hand up. Okay, but thank you for the ones that were bold to put their hands up. Excuse me. Um, so there, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can see how we often pray in completely different ways as Christians. But I have discovered that there is something that is more towards the middle of it. There's something that is more towards a different way of praying. And it's this, it's not if it be your will, and it's not it is your will, but it's more what is your will. See, now, now it actually expects, you're expecting that God will show you what his will is in this situation. Now, we could look at some things in the Bible, and I could ask you this question. Does God have the will for all marriages to succeed and be healthy? Is that his will? Yes or no? Yes, okay. So I believe that God has designed marriage to actually work. He's designed it and his desire, his will is for marriages to work. So when you're praying for your marriage, you can command that into being. You can say, Father, I command and I pray that our bless, uh, the blessing will be in our marriage and it will be strong. I bless it now in the name of Jesus. You are commanding the blessing into your marriage. But there are often times where you could say, does God want everybody to be healed all the time? Does God want you, let me ask you this question. Does God want you to be a millionaire? Okay, we've got one guy who's like, yes, I absolutely believe that, right? Other people are like, mm, maybe, I hope so. I just really hope so he will. The problem is, the evidence in the Bible is, I don't have anything that proves that yes, I have to be a millionaire. There's nothing that says that you have to be a millionaire. There's no quantification for that. But it doesn't mean that God hasn't designed that some of you will become millionaires. Some of you are like, I hope that's me. I hope he's pointing at me right now. But some of you will not be quantified as millionaires. So the question is, what does God want? We know for sure there are some things we can be sure on. He wants this. We don't have to beg him for it or say, if it's your will, we can command it into being because it's true. But there are other things that we just don't know. In fact, I, I discovered this when, uh, when my son was, was born, and, and forgive me if you've heard this story before, but this, this, is, this is just how I learned it. And my, when my son was born, he had a deformed kidney, and one of his kidneys wasn't working properly, and he used to have a lot of uh, urine and infections and bladder infections and difficulties with, with processing things through his kidney. And it, was, it, it caused us a lot of stress as a family, and, and I used to worry about him, and when it, at night when he was sleeping, I would just go in and I would pray for him, and I'd say, Father, please, please, Please just heal his body. Please heal his kidney. And I was begging God to some degree. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I was basically saying, if it be your will, please, if it be your will, because it hadn't come to pass yet. 
And I felt God impressed on me one night and said, can you trust that I will and have already healed his kidney without you knowing whether it's true or not? And I said, yes, I, I, think, I, I think I can. And so I changed the way that I started to pray for him. And I said, Father, I thank you that you are going to look after my son. I thank you that you're a better father than I, than I am. I thank you that you will, will look after his kidney and you will heal his kidney in your own time. I thank you that it's already healed today, tomorrow, whenever. I thank you, Father, that you're in charge of that kidney. I changed the way that I prayed because I discovered what God wanted me to pray. I was asking, Father, what is it that is your will? You follow me so far? God has for more for us in the past, in the future, but even today. Some of those things you can be sure about. Some of the other things you need to start asking God, what is your will? Okay, let's go to the second one. God has more for us. God has more for us. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, I'm going to be switching gears to a different story now. And when Jesus was just before he went into ministry, he uh, uh, went into the desert and we know how he went into the desert and he was tempted by the enemy and he fasted for 40 days. <clears throat> and when he was in the desert, the enemy came up to him and saw that he was hungry and he said, why don't you take that stone and turn it into bread? Just take what you need and fulfill your stomach. Just, just get, you're obviously hungry, just take what you need. And this is what Jesus said. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, what is more about? Pastor Robinson that many of you, you probably remember came, he was a, a great uh, preacher when he came here a couple of months ago. We actually have him scheduled to speak before the end of the year. And there was something that he said that really jumped out to me. He said this, Scripture is now being used to ask for things. He said it used to be that people would use Scripture to ask for more of God. But now what we have done is we've become the type of church and we've become the type of culture where we're now using God to ask for stuff in our life rather than just asking for Him. The point is that more is not about stuff right? More is not just about stuff. If anything, there's a very common type of theology in America now that we would call the prosperity theology. It's the health and wealth. The sarcastic way of saying it is the blab it and grab it type of theology where you just keep asking God for more and, and you're just commanding it into being and God wants me to be rich so I have, to, I have to keep getting more and more and more and more. And the fact is, the Bible is not about stuff. However, Stuff is usually the vehicle for more. How do I know that? Because Jesus said this, it's written, man shall not live on bread, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is that what I said? What did I just miss out? The word alone. Man shall not live on bread alone. What Jesus is acknowledging here is he's saying both of these things must exist. The word of God must exist and things must exist. Resources, blessing, uh, stuff, more should exist in our lives. They both should exist. 
why then should they both exist? Shouldn't I just be content with what I've got? Shouldn't I be fine with what I have? Well, the answer is, yes, you should be content with what you have. I completely concur with that and agree with it. But what is God's goal then for allowing both of those things to exist? I want to go back then to what the covenant was, the the promise that God spoke to the people of God that we have now inherited as a church, okay, universal. What is it that he spoke to the promised people? This is what he spoke. He spoke this in Jeremiah 31, 33. He said this, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And then the last sentence, read it together. I will be their God and they will be my people. The goal that God has is to know us and to be known. Fundamentally, everything that exists in your life, the more that he wants to put into your life is all about knowing him and him knowing us. And I believe that he uses the vehicle of stuff to help us to do that. How do I know that? Just a few verses before, he says, and they will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. It doesn't say they will rejoice in the bounty alone. It doesn't say you'll just rejoice in stuff alone. And neither does it say, and they will rejoice in the Lord. No, he says, and they will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The best way I can probably describe this is when I talk about being a father. As a father, One of the things that I take joy in is giving stuff to my children. Now, if I was the type of father that wasn't present in their life and all I did was buy them stuff, and I went on Google or I went on Amazon or eBay and I would just buy stuff and get it sent to them, then maybe you could say, well, you're a good father, you're buying stuff for your children. But see, the thing is, we know that stuff doesn't fill our lives up. Stuff is not something that will bring us joy. It can bring us happiness for a moment, but it doesn't fill our lives up with joy. But it's when we experience that stuff with our father, with our parents, that more joy exists in our life. That's why it's a, you know, when you go to, when you, when you want to take your children to Disney or something, it's such a thrill to see them enjoy Disney, right? To get on the rides and see them do it. And then they get to see you have a thrill and act like a child too. And suddenly you have a great day together unless you fall out together or something, something happens. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about any experience that we've had, but you know what I'm saying. But okay, so you have some wonderful day together and you've had, you've acted like a child and they've acted like a child and it's been such a joy together. You're the one who spent the money to get that ticket in order to spend time together. Recently, my daughter did something, and um, <clears throat> she, came up to, she came up to the bedroom. She brought a tray up, nine-year-old daughter, brought a tray up with a cup of tea, some toast and butter, sprinkled with some uh, uh, fruit on the top of it, and then she gave me a card. And I'm like, what is this miracle that is happening? It's never happened to me before, not with my children, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what is this miracle that's happening? And I expected the tea to be cold, and it wasn't. It was hot. It was absolutely lovely. Then she gave me this card that says dab, which means dad, right? And on the inside, it goes, I love you, dad. And then it has an emoji of a kiss on it, you know, with a wink going, which I thought, what does that mean? Okay, anyway, so she gave me an emoji with a kiss, or winking, and a kiss, and it has a little heart on it. You're like, oh, that's just so special, right? It's just so lovely. Now, if I was the type of God that some of you believe in, I would have said to her, wait, 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 that's my tea. That's my water, my tea bag, my cup, 
my electricity that I paid for, my kettle that you used to boil that water, that's my bread, my toaster, my butter. The pen that you used is even mine. The paper that you used is even mine. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you really want to say thanks to me, I'm, I, need to, I need to make sure that you can say thanks to me without giving you any stuff. You should be able to say thank you to me by yourself, on yourself, and I'll just exist myself over here. And when you're ready to come and worship me and come and, and tell me how much you love me, then you can come and bring whatever you have come up with, and then I'll accept that gift. What a beep, beep, beep type of father I would be, right? What type of father would that be? My joy is in that she used the things that I have already given to her, the things that are already lying around. She is using the resources that have already been provided to her. And more than that, the type of father I want to be is I want to say, if that's how you show your love, then I want to go buy you an easel. I want to get you a paint, a paint pot. I want to get you paint brushes. I want to get you some boards that you can paint on it because I've discovered the things that she's good at. I've discovered the joy that is in her. I've discovered the way that she manifests manifests her love and shows her love to me and to other people, why wouldn't I want to give her more? Why wouldn't I want to increase the resources in her life? Because that's the way she's connecting with other people. Now, she took the stuff that I had and she just decided to, to write down all the complaints in life. Here's my complaints in life. I complain about how much money I make. I complain that, that I just don't like going to school. I complain that I don't have enough clothes. I complain that people don't like me. I complain that when I look in the mirror, I don't like myself. I complain. Imagine the complaints if she had wrote them on a piece of paper. How do you think I would feel about her? How do you think I would feel about wanting to resource her with more? Well, now that you've written that list out, let me give you more. Why? Because she's not using the stuff to spend time with me. She's not using the stuff to love other people. She's only using the stuff to be about herself. Do you see that God wants to give us more? But listen, here's the problem I believe. When I reject more from God, I stop him from showing more of himself to me. Whatever God wants to give you, you have to trust that he is a good God. And if he wants to give you more, then trust that it's not because he's demanding and commanding that you have to do more. It's simply because he wants to show himself more to you. And the more revelation you have of him, the more you start to understand him, the more confidence and boldness you will grow in. Let's go to the last one, number three. God has more for who? For us. God has more for us. Who is this more for? Who's it for? Who's us? Is it just us in this room? Is it anyone that goes to church? Is it anyone who has not done bad things, at least in the last week? Is it anyone that didn't argue with their wife as they were driving all the way over here? Is it anyone who um, is good enough? Is it anyone in the world that hasn't even confessed Christ as Lord? Is it for anyone? Who is the us for? I'll tell you who the us is. The us is anyone who will act like his child. The anyone is anyone who will act like his child. Let me explain this. In the Bible, there are four words for the word love, four Greek words interpreted to describe what love is. But there are two main words 
that are used for the love of God. The interesting thing is, in the Bible, there are 35,000 scriptures in the Bible, and there's only 35 times it says the love of God, right? The love of God. Now, there are two types of loves that are described in the Bible. The first one is this. It's called agape. That is what we would call action love. It's basically mercy or charity. There is no emotion in it whatsoever. In fact, if you, you know when you drive up sometimes to you know, a stoplight and maybe there's someone there holding a, a sign and uh, you know, it's just saying homeless and hungry and you're literally calculating, do I believe and trust that they're really homeless and hungry? Do I believe that they really have need? And maybe you'll go, yeah, I think they do. Let me give them five bucks or 10 bucks or something. You give them something, you give them maybe water, you give them some food. You have actually acted in a certain type of love that is called mercy or charity but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have a passion for them. It doesn't mean that you have this deep feeling, deep-rooted love that is for them. It's not based on emotion. It's based on charity. Unfortunately, most people look at John 3, 16, uh, which says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They look at it and think, oh, he must have so much emotion for us. But the word that is used in that sentence is actually, for God so had much mercy for the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the way that we understand God's love has to be understood in the context of what word is being used. God's love is mentioned 35 times in the Bible, most of the time it says agape love. Three times it uses this other version of the word, and it's called filial love, which is affection love. Affection love is feeling. Affection love is friendship. Affection love is about being known by the other person. If you're in a marriage, you should have filial love with your spouse. It's an affection. It's a deep love. If you have a child, you should have filial love for that child. Here's the interesting thing. Now, listen carefully, because this might change your mind about how you understand God. The times where it talks about God's love in the Bible, every time it's always to the redeemed. It's always to those who have bowed their knees to the Father. In fact, when Jesus talked about the Father himself, he only ever talked about the Father to the disciples, never to those that had never bowed their knees. He never spoke about the Father to the Pharisees. You see, you have to understand there is a reason for this. There is something that is so important. Why is this important? It's simply because this, God feels something different for his sons and his daughters. So if you're going to ask the question, does God have more for who? For who? It's not just for everybody and anybody. It's for anyone who accepts his son. It's for anyone who accepts him as his father. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave it to them. He had more to give to everybody. But anyone who doesn't accept Jesus as their savior doesn't get the more of God. It's a very simple understanding and gospel of Jesus Christ that we are looking at here in the scripture. And that doesn't mean we should just go, well, it's tough on them, uh, that, that they don't get anything because they don't accept Christ. No, he still wants us to go out and capture those people, but at the same time, the ones that he has more for is you if you're a son or a daughter. It's not predicated on how spiritual you are and how, how good you are and how... And how um, how much sin that you don't have in your life. It's simply predicated on this. It's for those who act like children. 
Now, when your children are around you, do you want to have them act selfish? Do you want them to act just for their own accord? Do you want them to be angry? Do you want them to be bitter? Or do you want your children to act unselfishly, to act in such a way that they love their siblings, that they love their parents? If that's what we want for our children, how much more does God want for us? Do you see what I'm saying? Even Jesus said this, that a bad father knows how to give his children good gifts. How much more does our heavenly father know how to give us good gifts? So when we're looking at this, God has more for us. I hope through this whole study, you'll have seen that God, your father, who is a good father, wants way more than you could ever understand. But there is one thing I believe that stops us from receiving more, and it's this. It's what you believe. Why? Because you may say that you believe God is a good God. You may say that you believe that he has more for you. But if you act like it's not true, then that's what you truly believe. You can only receive what you act out. And whatever you act out is what you believe. So if you act in such a way that you think that nothing greater will come to you, then it's true. God is not your father. Or or let me put it like this. God might be your father, but you're not acting like a son or a daughter. You have to trust that God wants to give you more, but start using whatever he has given you to love him back and to love the people that are around you.